you never know what's going to happen with AI next. I mean, right. I don't uh, sleep at night sometimes because <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. So there's always new techniques that are coming out which require less and less data, less and less training, less and less of everything. Welcome to the Future of Product podcast, where I, Max Matson, interview founders and product leaders at the most exciting AI startups to give you an exclusive glimpse into the workflows, philosophies, and product journeys that are shaping the current and future AI landscape. This week, I sit down with Marco Jack, co-founder at the AI company that turns any image of you into a professional headshot, Secta Labs, to learn more about how he sees the current AI landscape, how he achieved viral success, and how he builds an AI product with responsibility at the forefront. With all that said, let's dive right in. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Future of Product. Today, I've got a very exciting guest. His name is Marco Jack, and he is the founder at Secta Labs, very exciting AI startup. Marco, would you mind telling us a little bit more about Secta and about yourself? Hey, Max. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoy talking about what we do because it's kind of the simplest product to explain, which is you upload a bunch of pictures and we give you a lot of professional headshots powered by AI. So um, a little bit like about myself, I guess I've uh, been building products for like as long as I can recall. Uh, many of them have failed. Some have not succeeded. Um, and basically, we started the company, my co-founder and I, towards the, the end of last year. We'll give you a bit more about the backstory, I think, as we go forward. And um, yeah, we've, we actually launched in the middle of January um, or so. I think we were the first ones to be doing it and yeah since then we've did we've done about 3.5 million headshots and over wow. like um 12,000 users so and that's all through basically word of mouth so awesome. that, it's kind of just like holding on for dear life right now yeah <laughs> well 12,000 that's you're you're doing all right i'd say <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's awesome. Would you mind uh, getting a little bit into that background with Secta? You know, what motivated you to actually solve this problem? Yeah, so actually, um, it sort of evolved from experimentation. Uh, you know, different companies have different starting stories. Uh, our one, actually, my co-founder, you know, the, uh, my co-founder, you know, the Alex, um, him, him and I, at the end of last year, I sort of pitched him, let's do the fun like, avatar thing that everyone else is doing and just like have some fun with it. Mm -hmm. We thought we could do it in a unique way. So we did like a WhatsApp bot. So, you know, upload your photos on like a WhatsApp bot and then the bot comes back to you with all kinds of pictures of yourself as like a superhero or an anime character. And, of course, the downside of it is like, what do people do with this? Like, cool, <laughs> I look like a superhero. What do I do with it? And so in sort of doing that, uh, I showed the images actually to my wife. And she was, of course, her reaction was, what do I do with this? Uh, and we actually had like a fight at the one point, And she wasn't speaking to me that day. But she actually sent me a text. She said, not that I'm speaking to you, but can you do this for a professional headshots? And I was like, yes, like exclamation marks. <laughs> and so it sort of clicked on the application being something much more kind of valuable to people because mm -hmm. they can actually use it. Um, and yeah, so that's a bit of like the backstory. I mean, I've been just the, the, the back backstories. I've been building in AI since 2014. Okay. So actually prior to the whole transformed architecture, yeah. my kind of first startup was a text processing startup. Mm. Um, and I recall one of the first things I did in 2014 or so was uh, make an article with like a Shakespeare in, this, in the style of Shakespeare. It was mm. really bad. 
But even then, I saw, hey, there's something here. Mm. And uh, towards the middle of last year, I think beginning of last year, when OpenAI's um, mm. DALL-E came out, right? Yeah. It was a closed source model. I was like, this, this is pretty cool, right? You can do some things here. And so I think just by staying in the space, by mm-hmm. playing in the space, this idea like evolved out <laughs> of that. So it's something I would kind of recommend to anyone if you're interested in the space, just start doing something in that space. Yeah, 100%. I love that. I mean, it's like you, it sounds like you got in very early relative to, you know, definitely I'd say the vast majority of people today. Um, but kind of having that background uh, and, and being able to see the trends, right? So I love that uh, kind of anecdote that you give when it comes to Secta of having this thing that's, you know, fun, a nice to have, but how do you make it actually solve a problem that people are willing to pay for, you know, with regularity, right? Um, yeah. So kind of on that, that train of thought, how do you see, you know, a tool like Secta shaping the future of, you know, not just generative AI, but the way that people actually work and, and go about their professional lives? Yeah, uh, I mean, just to add on to the other point about playing with things. So, like, I just want to add something there that's pretty cool. Like, when you start, right, when you see something happening, it's generally uh, there's this great thing by Chris Dixon from Andreessen Horowitz, right? He says the next big thing will start off, start off kind of looking like a toy. Mm. And that's really like, so if you ever, you know, if you're sort of exposed to what's happening in tech and you see something and you like, this is pretty bad. It can't mm-hmm. do what it can do. But if you see something and you say, well, it can do a little bit more than I expected it to be able to do. It's able to make a picture. It's a really bad picture, but it's able to do something. And I can sort of see a hand. I can sort of see something. You can like imagine with the like, evolution of things where it could go. And that's really how you get early in on these things. So how do we fit into the landscape of generative AI? Um, <laughs> well, I would say, and how does it kind of shape things? That's what you want to know, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So you see like what you'll see straight away, I guess, is the landscape is sort of split right now into the different types of content, I would say. Mm-hmm. So you have audio, video, image. It's all falling under generative AI. Um, and each of these again, have like a cascade of applications. Um, so even generative AI for the images, which is the space that you could say we are in as it is now, uh, right? The, the applications there could be in a, a professional sense, like what we are doing now. But there's applications in the law, uh, generating digital art or, mm. uh, you know, I just actually advised a startup that is doing the same thing as we are doing, but for some babies. So see your right. ba- baby in like a Darth Vader outfit. I don't know, you know, like yeah. it's pretty cool. Right. So again, it's, um, it, it will shape all of these spaces if it adds value to the customer. Um, how do, how do we see it kind of shaping work? I think right now with the product as it is, I would say mm-hmm. the first thing that we're doing is we're trying to, get you a professional image of yourself where it looks like you've been on like a six month holiday. You've been eating well, you've been exercising. Like that's what we are aiming for with the tech is like Mm -hmm. authentically you. Um, And so if you abstract that, you're saying what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people portray them in the, themselves, sorry, in the most accurate and uh, aesthetically accurate way in the most accurate and aesthetically pleasing way. Right. Um, yeah. The best version. But I'll of sort of pause here. I don't know if I answered your question. 
No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I would like to just dive in a little bit more. So one thing that, and I, honestly, I, part of the reason I was very interested in talking to you is because this is a problem that I myself have have dealt with, right? Where you're usually when you're searching for a job, maybe it's just me, but at least in the last few years with market conditions, it can be you know very uh, last minute. You're not prepared. And the last thing that you're thinking about is going to get some professional headshots taken, right? <laughs> um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I've definitely been in that position where it's like, how do I figure out how to make the selfie look, you know, not, not like hot garbage. Um, and so I, I was just thinking, you know, with your technology, um, with tools like Secta, I wonder if it's going to democratize in a lot of way, the kind of lens of professionalism right? Like our ability to project that we're professional members of the business community. Um, what do you, what do you think about kind of that thought? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really, really good. I mean, you could also add on top of that and say mm -hmm. other tools that are helping you rewrite your profile or mm -hmm. even like the LLMs, right? Give me a better kind of introduction about myself, have a mm -hmm. look at my work experience and do that. So I would say it definitely contributes there. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things that I didn't think about that much at the beginning, but I've seen from people just coming back to us is like, what's it? Thank you for seeing me as I kind of see myself. Mm. And I never expected that. So there's this ability. Our tool has the ability to give you a boost of self-confidence or to make you feel really bad about yourself. So if your <laughs> uploads are bad and the quality is bad, you're like, Oh mm -hmm. my God, this is so bad. Of course, most people don't, feel that bad they just go oh my word this thing screwed up right um and and yeah so so i think it's not just that it allows you to present that image which are to your point all of these tools are going to be doing that um mm -hmm. helping you present a more professional image of yourself uh but um in our case we actually have a sort of big responsibility and a privilege to show you something that helps you feel good like about yourself yeah. um and then you sort of you sort of touched on actually layoffs. I just want to mm -hmm. emphasize mm -hmm. something there. Well, we if you have been actually laid off, come to us. We'll give you like a free headshot. Uh, oh. we've, we've done it for like 200 people. Awesome. I just feel it's so cool that we can actually help someone in some small mm -hmm. way. I didn't think I could do that. Like in someone in some small way that yeah. maybe it increases the odds of you getting that call by like 5%, mm -hmm. 20%. I don't know, you know, and, and if we can do that, that's actually great. So just putting that out there. Hopefully no, I don't awesome. have like 5,000 people coming tomorrow, but <laughs> if someone's <laughs> out there hearing it, yeah. No, absolutely. No, I, uh, for everybody in the audience. Yeah. If you've been impacted by layoffs, definitely, uh, let them know. Um, yeah, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So kind of moving on from there, uh, would you mind just touching briefly, uh, on how the technology works? You know, I, I think my audience is decently familiar with generative AI on a, on a broad level. Right. But, um, can you, can you tell me kind of a little bit of what's behind the magic? Yeah. Um, how, how technical do you want me to go? Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll start off on like a broad explanation there we go. for anyone who isn't. Uh, and then if you feel one of the areas you want to dig more into, we can get into that. Perfect. So um, I could probably best explain how it works in kind of what's in three parts. So mm. like the first part is, you need to upload some uh, pictures. So we need what we call the kind of training data. Uh, yeah. That's a data acquisition step, as we call it uh, internally, but it really just means upload your pictures. Um, and the key part here, 
and I can go into more detail, of course, it's just like you're basically trying to teach the AI what your face looks like. So mm-hmm. um, a bunch of photos with you wearing with sunglasses, the AI can't guess what your eyes look like. Mm. Um, so there's, there's good data, bad data, and there's some uploads which sort of fall in the middle ground where we do train on them, but we have assumptions internally that these aren't that good. So that's an important step because you're giving the general model. And so I'll go into that part as well. Now, the, the key part of the tech is the, the second part, which is the actual fine tuning. And Mm. that's what that's called. So if anyone wants to Google like the fine tuning of LBMs, that's what we're doing. Um, and really, I'll try and explain this one. I was thinking about this, like if I get asked this question, how do I explain it in a way that anyone can understand it? So yeah. I'm, I'm going to give it a go and you tell me if, uh, if it actually makes sense. So <laughs> you, um, the diffusion model is an open source model. We'll mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. But it's basically a repository of many, many pictures that this model has been kind of trained on. Right Now, if with mm-hmm. us, with our the process, what we're doing, you can think of the model as an actual painter. And that painter has been trained to paint all kinds of landscapes, right? All, all kinds of pictures. And he's been trained to do that based on looking at thousands of pictures. Mm-hmm. Now, we want the painter to paint only the Golden Gate Bridge or only the Grand Canyon, right? So uh, a very specific kind of landscape. Mm. And this is where a fine-tuning comes in, right? So we're adjusting the painter's technique based on a few pictures that we have of the Golden Gate Bridge or like mm. the Grand Canyon. And we say we're trying to get the painter to adjust the process, and that's where the technical terminology comes in, which I can get that into, but close trying to match what you upload so it can resemble that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our case, of course, we're not painting a bridge. We're painting you. Right. Um, and, and so that's the second part of the tech. And the third part is really once we generate the picture. So once we've taught the model how to paint you, then it will, will sort of uh, prompt the model in an extremely similar way to how people are prompting open AI. You know, like you can download all the prompt guides, all of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we prompted, give me a picture of um, a man with this background and you know that and so once we get those pictures we have a unique process uh that's very different to anyone else we spend some time a lot of time a lot of credits mm. <laughs> but, and some money uh, most, sure. mostly compute credits uh <laughs> building what we call a aesthetic scorer so mm. we score the images which come out of it so at the top of your gallery the first image that you get won't be a hand coming out of your head because the scorer says that's not a good picture right and we're getting better at that and that's actually a very key part of the kind of process uh, from a product perspective it sort of makes the machine learning more robust almost if that mm-hmm. makes sense because we can afford to make mistakes in other areas or it's not as good but we robustify it and it's actually some old tech in there mm-hmm. so that part has a bit of ai now but when we started it it was all our old tech Okay. Um, and, and yeah, so does that give you a broad overview yeah. of it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. So um, it sounds like diffusion is, is a big core of it, right? And that's kind of the, that's right. yeah, the first part. And then you've got kind of this proprietary tech that's, that's really doing the training, it sounds like. Yeah. Okay, perfect. perfect. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the fine tuning or the kind mm-hmm. of training is proprietary. Right. As well, the initial technology that we used was on the open source stable mm-hmm. diffusion model, but we've trained our own model on top of that. 
Got it. So, and now then we fine tune that model on your data. So there's mm-hmm. basically like models all the way down kind of thing, you know? I see. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> AI inside of AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. I think that was very well explained. I think they that people should understand that. Um, awesome. So cool. Thanks. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so uh, moving forward, uh, how do you guys use AI? You know, uh, in your own internal processes, it's something that I like to talk about quite a bit because. I, you know, I can, would consider myself a bit of an early adopter when it comes to AI tooling, just in terms of especially like day-to-day tasks, right? Automating the small stuff is a big thing that we we focus on here. Um, how do you yeah. guys do that? Well, I'd say that there's like um, three things we're doing that probably some people are doing similar kind of versions of, but the third thing is actually more than I think what others are doing. So like I'd start with uh, the first thing we're doing is we are kind of using it on all of our code reviews. So mm-hmm. as we do code, I can talk a bit about that. The second thing we're doing is uh, just, I mean, the, I use it to write what's in, what's in SQL queries or kind of regex, uh, mm-hmm. just prompted like, here's all my columns, here's my table, give me a query that, that returns that. It's excellent at that. Yeah. And the what's the third application is I actually use it to do a whole bunch of market research, okay. and uh, in doing that I actually run a auto kind of GPT. So I don't mm-hmm. do a single prompt; I give it a task, and I actually allow it to run through all the tasks. Gotcha. I can talk about any one of those, but yeah, that's kind yeah. of the thing. Yeah, I mean, let, let's break that down a little bit more. I um, I'm especially interested in in kind of the market research aspect. Um, you know, kind of like from your position as a founder, what what does that look like? Yeah, so it will be something like um, one of the tasks I gave it at the one point was identify the top five markets when it comes to portrait, the photography by size and come back to me with the with the kind of sentiment in each of these kind of markets, who are the leaders. So it's like a whole task that you would probably give an intern and they right. would spend like five days on it. Um, and... Um, there's a different there's different tools out there. So uh, it's a friend of mine has a tool called Cognosis, which okay. is available out there. So I'm giving him like a shout out. He should give me a like an affiliate link or something. But <laughs> they 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 trying to build it out as a product okay. that you can buy. So I would say right. if you want to try that sort of thing, you can just go there. But there's a whole bunch of open source code out there which you can do it with as well. I'm running it in my own you know like open source tool. But that tends to break and tends to get all kinds of problems. So I might just end up with paying for something. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so just to unpack that a bit more, sorry if it yeah. isn't clear, like the task, what actually happens is just like you would prompt open AIs, what's a GPT to do something, the task, what it does, it generates its own prompts. So it generates, let's say, 50, 100 prompts and it recreates prompts as it actually goes. So it's actually feeding itself prompts in a recursive manner. So behind the auto process is sort of like, what are the prompts I need to generate in order to answer this prompt or this task? And so it's prompts all the way down, but it, instead of you prompting it every time, you just give it a task. It does like the 500 prompts and it actually carries on for one hour. And then it gives you the, the output at the, the end of that. I think that kind of... Um, AI, you know, the agent is going to be big. That's going to be a really big thing from like a lawyer to an intern to all kinds of tasks that you can do like a first pass on. 
you said earlier that Secta is all word of mouth. Yeah, uh, we actually, that has changed in the last week and a half. We did a influencer campaign as well with um, a place called what's in Job Seeking is Hard. And that's like an online um, a community basically helping people get jobs or how to prepare for jobs. Job interviewers got a whole bunch of great kind of content on there. Uh, so that was our first, we've done a, a, a bit of paid ad, just ex, like, experimentation. Uh, yeah, so we haven't done anything paid. It's just all people telling other people. And the great part about that is I also get emails now and again, like I've tried everything else out there, but now we're coming to you and you are the best. So that's actually nice to hear. Although we should probably do a better job of speaking about that. But uh, we just really focused on the product and tech and sometimes doing not as good a job on the kind of marketing side. Like, you know, we're not, it's, we want to build the technology more than we want to make more money. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, <laughs> that's what you want to hear, right? I think that's the, the core ethos of product led. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I feel like a memorable experience is the most difficult thing to create. And, that speaks for itself a lot over time. And, and yeah. No, absolutely. I, so just to kind of, you know, uh, go on that, that topic a little bit more, is there anything kind of inherent to the way that you built the product that has led to this viral success that you've seen? Um, yeah. So I would say the first part is that we, when you get your gallery, we we do we the first goal that we have is that you get your gallery and you go oh my god this is great right that's like the first goal that we need to get to and then we've unlocked a few other things so we have a thing where you can create a new kind of custom shoot and you can choose i want a smiling photo with me in like a suit in this background you have all kinds of like control over it uh, we're actually going to be kind of shipping a V2 of that where you can retouch an image. So you can say, actually, do this on this image. And and, and so uh, to answer the actual question that you're asking, to get more access to that actual feature, we ask people to kind of share. And that's just to ensure that when they continue to generate hundreds of images, we sort of covered the cost by asking them to kind of share. Uh there's some stuff we do on referrals and um, discounts as well. So we, you know, people who have a great experience, just doing it kind of manually now, like you had a great experience. Here's some codes like, hey. <laughs> um, but it, it is very much, I would admit, and your question was a good one because you said, is there anything we're doing to sort of amplify that? But a big part of anything AI right now is driven by the remarkable aspect of it. Like, oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know. I got like uploaded 25 pictures and I got these uh, hundreds of pictures back. Um, and, and, and so we, I'm sort of very conscious of that. Like that might degrade a bit over time, but I see it. I'm not playing the kind of short game here for generate some pictures and then like, off I go somewhere else. For us, this is like a long game. Right. No, I love that. It's, you know, first and foremost, providing that excellent experience and then really just it sounds like, I mean, you and, and a lot of the successful product-led companies that I've, I've talked to, it's just doubling down from there, right? It's expecting that if somebody truly got value from you, that they'll be willing to share. And it's amazing to see how often that bears out. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one of the things we sort of guide on the, one of the, the sort of principles I try to adhere to on the PM side is if I ask you to do something, I should 
give you something or I should explain why I'm asking you. Like, I think the, the amateur move sometimes is a little bit like you expect people that they will do things uh, without thinking like, what are their, their motivations for doing that? Uh, so sort of a, a level of skepticism is needed whenever you think of any kind of feature because uh, you got to ask yourself the question, why would they do that? <laughs> like, and, and if you don't know the mind of the customer, then you will make up a story. No, it's, you know, it's easy to click on or something and it is just, that isn't going to happen. Totally. How did, you know, what was some of the early work that you all did to really get to know your customer to, to be able to proactively you know, solve that need? Uh, I have to give my co-founder Alex a whole bunch of credit here because he sort of, um, he sort of, I wouldn't say he forced me, but he was like, okay, you know, we were growing so fast. We couldn't keep up. We had no actual product. So, uh, I mean, we had the ML, but we didn't have a product kind of workflow. We were actually, when we went live, we had upload form. Like you could just upload your images to like a no code form. <laughs> we didn't have anything. And so at the beginning, uh, and this was the best thing I did is I reviewed every single order that came in. I looked at every upload. I looked at, I, took out the bad images. I tried to keep good images. And I mean, people knew that we were doing this because I was like, sorry, please wait. This will take about two days to come back to you because we have to review all of them. And it was the, the best thing I did because I saw what people are giving us. I saw what they're, you know, they're asking for. I heard about their problems and I think it's helped me and I still do it. So I still email customers every day. Um, and I don't come back to all of them sometimes, but sometimes because then they email back and some people are like, actually, I need a support query. Then I forward them on there, but oh, I help them out. So that's actually something I think everyone should always be doing. Like you have, you have to have like a mental model in your the head of the needs of the customer. Otherwise, like you're not really going to build anything that's good. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I think that's a point that kind of gets lost in like the hype cycle when it comes to AI, right? Is that and it does indeed, yeah. Yeah, is that you have to be able to do the process, understand the process, understand all of the pain points associated with the process in order to build something that's going to automate it, right? And if you just jump straight into that part, you're going to miss something. Yeah. So what have you seen with that as well? Also, like yeah. people who are successful are doing like that kind of approach? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's something that I actually talked recently to um, our head of product, Matt, about is, is something that I really admire in him is that he's willing to do something that sucks just long enough to be able to figure out how to automate it, right? There you go. That's it. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good way to actually say it, right? You have to be willing to do something that actually sucks so that mm -hmm. you know what's actually going on there. Uh, I think it's it's very easy as like a founder to get caught up in the more like glamorous stuff. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I want to go to a conference and they want me right. to speak there and all of that. But then you can sort of lose contact with who you're actually trying to build for. Uh, mm -hmm. I've, I've actually seen that happen a couple of times. So oh, yeah. yeah, I'm con I'm trying to be conscious that I don't end up there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you guys are on the right track. Um, so, you know, kind of going alongside that, what are some of the, you know, unique challenges that you have faced, you know, kind of building an AI product during this time, um, getting it to market? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we we had a um, we were we had at the right kind of timing, right? So we were like the first to come out with this unique like, the, the positioning of the AI avatars within this kind of space. Uh, the AI avatars were done since I think September last year, um, 
and 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 you know so like we in that way we got you know kind of lucky i would say although we saw the opportunity and we grabbed it right so what's it uh, opportunity and actually luck <laughs> you know those two things um but unique kind of challenges definitely i would say we sort of had challenges on the ml we had challenges on the product and we had challenges on the kind of marketing side I, I, my guess is you want to hear more about the uh, machine learning and the kind of what's the, what's the product side of things yeah so the main challenge on the product that we had and we still have it's an ongoing challenge is how do we help users upload the right images now you can take an arrogant approach and just tell people this is what you should do and if you don't do it we don't give you back your money kind of thing uh, our approach is more like if someone is not uploading the correct images, we failed in onboarding them. And uh, that's not always the case. Of course, we don't, some people just don't read at all and just upload anything. But more and more, it's like, how do we nudge you at the right moment, give you the right context, give you the feedback on the pictures? So if you do upload images now where like you're wearing sunglasses, we tell you, sorry, we can't accept this image. Um, so that's that's an ongoing kind of challenge. Data um, hygiene is an ongoing challenge because we can't manually review every order which comes in. I mean, at this point, it's just way too much more than any team could even actually review. Um, and the other part, I think this is a challenge that maybe others don't know much about, which if you might want to dig into a bit more because it's really – it's not emphasized in the space, but there is a bias problem in the underlying actual data that our technology is actually built on. So stable diffusion 1.5, 2.1, I mean, is all based on like the Lion 5B, 2B like data sets. These are open source, you know, like open source pictures, and but there's an inherent ethnic bias in there. And what that means is that if you train on those actual data sets or the, on the models which are built on top of them, um, if you're, let's say, North Indian, South Indian, or, you know, the Asian or Hispanic, uh, Asian, of course, is very broad, you know, but you may have to, it will be more difficult to get a good outcome. And that's something that, I'll be honest, I've never had to deal with that because, um when you build products, so please do kind of stop me from going off here, but I care about this part quite a, quite a, quite a bit. Um, like I've built products in the past, right? And one of the things that you need to learn as a PM or building products is like, who, who isn't this for? Who is this for and who isn't this for, right? And it's okay to say this is for stay-at-home moms and I'm not building for anyone else. And that's fine because you have to kind of focus. But is it, it's not okay to say this is for people of a certain skin color. I mean, that's that's the definition of actual racism, right? So it's like good for you, but not good for you. So that's actually, I would say, if I had to like rank order the challenges, that's actually the first challenge. And that's why we are the ones who are collecting ethnic data. So when you upload your information, we ask you, you can skip the question, but that's to improve your outcome and to improve the outcome for the, everyone else. So that's like, one of my top priorities is how do we um, adjust the base models so that anyone of any skin color, any ethnic background can have as good an experience. Um, and that's something, yeah, I don't, they, I mean, there's a bias question which people are talking about now, right? Like, uh, I'm, I don't know if you've seen those things where like, if you prompt the models for an image of a CEO, it's always a man or something. 
because everything's biased. But this is bad bias. And that's one of the challenges that um, I'm very, very active about. Um, and then the third challenge, I've sort of gotten into a lot here, but the third challenge is the aesthetic scoring of images. What is a good image and what isn't a good image? But I'll sort of let me stop here. And if you want to dig into any one of these or we can move on. How do you kind of, I understand like the uh, the self-reporting aspect kind of helps you be able to provide a better experience, but is there a fundamental answer, you know, to a problem like this when it comes to what the models are actually trained on? Yeah, so um, the most kind of what's a fundamental answer is making the data set that the initial models are trained on more diverse. Um, so by more like diverse, I mean, you know, there is no one, you know, black person or one white person. As you know, it's all spectrum, right? So someone from Kenya may have a different appearance in general, or they have different kind of what's in facial characteristics to someone from South Africa. That's where I grew up, so I'm just like grabbing names now, right? And and so having more of those images trained in would already be like a big help. But the problem is that whoever's working on open source models, they're working on general all-purpose models. So they want art and they want landscapes and they want people and they want all kinds of things. Right. Uh, so I would say we're the only ones that I know of, uh, please keep it like a secret, <laughs> and a podcast, we'll who are working on this sort of fine-tuning our own models mm. so that it can be uh, – can represent a group of people um and and um i think that's quite key i mean especially Mm -hmm. to uh, develop this tech um yeah but you but i would just caveat all of this to say like you never know what's going to happen with ai next i mean i don't uh sleep at night sometimes because (laughs) we don't know what's going to happen so there's always new techniques that are coming out which require less and less data less and less training less and less of everything and so it yeah, it could all be – so, for for example, um, there was a product called – there was a technique called um, control net that came out, which helps you control – condition the images. So, put the person here like, and their face at this the angle and this that. Prior to control net, there were companies I know who were spending thousands of dollars every day trying to create their own like, approximation of that. Wow. And then our control net came out. It just deprecated all of that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Things change so quickly. I mean, you're already hearing about kind of the, the leagues of magnitude, smaller data that you're able to train models on. Um, so yeah. that could potentially be one answer. Right. Um, and, and I didn't mean to cut you off earlier. I know that you were kind of getting to another okay. um, challenge or ethical consideration that, that you guys face. Um, would you mind going into that a little deeper? I think yeah. that kind of what we were just talking about kind of naturally dovetails into it. And, and then we can kind of get into a, a talk about like the, the broader, bigger picture for AI. Yeah. So what do you want to know about the ethical part? Because that's like such a broad totally. kind of topic. Totally. Maybe let's try to like narrow that down a bit. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is, you know, A, user data, right? I think that's kind of a hot button issue. B, yeah. the fact that, you know, it's it's people's faces and, and images of them. Um, yeah. I think we could just start there probably. There's, there's a lot to unpack there, I would imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, you 100, it's, it's a really good uh, thing to bring up because it's also like to unpack, to add to your question, there's all these questions about now, like, 
you have an AI model can generate a picture of me and like possibly am I seeing that picture of me, right? Like in the past, if someone took a photo of you, you were a participant in some way because you were there, right? Um, and and so, I mean, this has been like top of mind for us when we started off and uh, in, at, at every point we sort of like informing people as to what's happening with all of their data. And I mean, it, just to be actually clear is that people can always ask and say, take out my data. So we actually have, I just had an email that I saw as part of the kind of what are the, so, you know, daily we have a, a deletion sheet. These are the accounts that are going to be that deleted. And that only happens every 24 hours so as like a batch run. And, and so that's always an option just to be clear, right? People can re- request all their data to be gone. The other thing is that we see the AI model as being owned by the actual customer. So like I see it as like, we don't own it. You can generate off it. We help you create images out of it, but I can't create an image out of it to use for lo- off for what's something else. It's also why our gallery on our site sucks because I need to ask everyone, hey, can I use this picture of you? Can you sign it off? So uh, we should probably like, automate that process. Like here's a $50 voucher. If we can use all your pictures, please please like, kind of sign here. Um, so anyone who's had their headshots and is hearing this, please just email me and tell me I can use your pictures. It'll be great. But uh, we, yeah, so we need to ask as well the way I see it. Like we don't have any claim over any of your uh, pictures. We're enabling you to generate like out of the a model. Um, so I guess that's one key thing I would say. Um, and this actually brings up another ethical question, which is for teams. Um, the way I think that other companies who are doing any team kind of headshots, because companies also have this uh, problem, right? I have 20 people on my team. They're based all over the world. How do I coordinate this? Um, and the other startups, I think that might be doing this for teams. They just sort of allow you to get all the pictures. Um, to me, that feels weird. Like it doesn't feel right, uh, that the company can just get all your pictures. Like to me, it should be a process of the company is paying for it, but by default, they don't see any of your pictures. You have to choose which ones the company can actually see. So there's an opt in or an opt out process. Uh, and that, that is what we do for all of our teams. So you can invite people on your team, they upload their pictures, but only when they save the ones in their on uh, on, uh, brand shoot, Mm-hmm. Do those pictures appear on the company dashboard? Got it. So that's wow. a bit of an ethical one. We can always unpack some more, yeah. Yeah, no, I honestly, I'm very impressed by your approach here, right? Um, both with the, you. Um, you know, honestly, I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of people and, and a, a lot of people in the space have kind of given me their opinions on on ways to make AI, you know, more equitable and, and more ethical. And it sounds like over at Secta, you guys are really doing the work to make sure that that happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, everything that I'm actually saying, I can give you a kind of demo of. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> you have the proof. Um but I'd love to actually get your opinions on some of the, the bigger ethical considerations in, in the industry at large, because I, I like the way that sure. you, you look at these problems. Um, so, you know, when it comes to generative AI and, and ownership, right, I, I think that the way that you guys do it is, is really smart, which is to say that the end user is, is effectively the owner, right? Um, what about these models that are trained on publicly available data? What are your thoughts there? Do is there any obligation to kind of the content that you know uh, was used in the training? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's 
a really difficult one, right? I, I don't know anyone who can answer that in an authentic way without making some sort of a political answer to that kind of question. I'd say it's a it's a key question. And when you start asking that question, if you actually abstract it, you're sort of answering, you're asking the question of what is a, a derivative kind of work, right? Like you say, uh, if I make something that's similar to what you've made, is that is that yours or is it mine, right? And so YouTube has figured that out a bit, I think, with like, you know, you can make a video of someone else's video. Like I react to someone's video, right? You can do those ones, right? Um, and that seems to be fine because, but you can play back parts of a movie, but you can't play back the entire movie, right? So you can react to that. So I think it's like, we'll see that evolving in this space where where certain outputs are very like, recognizable or you can see it's actually trained on this kind of data but the the we're all doing our derivative works if when whatever we do right every you know they say great artists uh what's him steal right that's like everyone's copying from everyone else uh, ai is accelerating that of course and it's making it easier for you to actually copy uh so so i'm giving you a very hand wavy answer to some extent but i would say that the way I see it is that there is a question there. The, 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 the line between what is copyright, what is owned by who, and what is a, a derivative work of that is going to have to be made more clear. That's uh, the people who are building these huge the open source models. I guess they're going to be challenged more and more on that. Um, our perspective on it, and this is a bit revealing where we're going, but our perspective is we're actually working with our photographers. Uh, I haven't said too much about it, and I'm not going to say too much about it now as to what we're doing, but uh, I believe, so I, I genuinely love believers having built companies in the past where sort of you build a company, you know, sprinkle technology, and we don't need anyone, right? just tech. Like uh, I find like if there's a way we can take photographers along on the kind of journey with us, I would right. like to do it. At the beginning, I didn't have the answer to that. So if you asked mm -hmm. me at the beginning, I would have said, I don't know, but now we do. And so call me again in like a month and you'll yeah, see what we're doing there. Yeah, no, we'll get an update out. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's to come. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you a personal update. Yep. Please do. Um, very cool. So kind of shifting back to, to Secta. Um, it sounds like you guys have got some stuff in the works. I've been kind of amazed by the pace at which things have been changing and happening and, and growing. And, and if you look at the tech giants here, it's pretty nuts. The, you know, how yeah, quickly it's, they're actually, it's insane. I mean, you've got, you know, an, a new announcement every day, it feels like. Um, so yeah. how do you all kind of stay ahead of the curve when it comes to, you know, as a small business, staying competitive and, and truly making your product the one that, that users want? Yeah. Um, I just don't sleep. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I, I, I actually, the, the, the truth is I, uh, go into Twitter every night at about like 11 o'clock. Depends when I'm done with all the things I want to do. Uh, and then I just scroll. Like I have a different AI, AI, um, what's in, what's in the Twitter list, right? Where you add people and I've, I've built an entire bunch. Um, and so I just scroll through those and, doom scrolling that's how yeah, i stay ahead yeah. uh, and sometimes i see something and i go oh my god and then i don't sleep for four hours trying to like, implement it in the code or something um i try to stay away from doing that because uh, my experience is that the academic papers that are published are not as good as they tend as they say they are it's never as good 
So um, that being said, so how do we stay ahead? I think the we look at everything through like the lens of how will it actually help the customer. Um, so you have to work your way backwards from there always. Um, and sometimes you're not sure, but it seems cool. And that's also fine, right? Like sometimes you should allow yourself that play. Uh, and so we have a prompt uh, playground, as we call it internally, which is like a really bad, ugly UI backend interface that you can just tick 500 like boxes and you can try stuff on. But it's really key to be able to do that because you might discover something. You go, wow, that actually improves the quality. Um, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is I'd say be careful about things that are just like an academic paper because if there's no code to back it up, it you know, might be kind of promising. It could be, it could be like a rabbit hole. Uh, so sort of in at the rank ordered list of, for our space, it's like academic paper only. Yeah. Okay. Code and academic paper. No, that's interesting. And then maybe implemented within like automatic one, 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 one or something else. Like that's even more interesting because you can play with it some more. So you just got to find the right point of the entry, depending on what your customer wants. So again, always coming, coming back to them. So you you mentioned the the doom scrolling, which I find really really funny because I, I mean I I find myself doing the exact same thing. But yeah, when you got into this industry, uh, did you say 2014? I believe. Yeah, uh, 2014 is when I decided to start a startup, and we were doing some. Yeah, 2014. Yeah, come let's say end of 2014. Could you have ever seen any of this, you know, transpiring in the amount of time that it has uh, from that vantage point? That's a, that's a good, good one. I think anyone who says, yeah, I saw it all coming like, is a liar. Right? Um, uh, uh, I would say that there was definitely when Backprop came out 2012, I think it was, uh, and you're like, wow, wow, it's a pretty interesting what it can do. But I think no one, including me, thought that by continuing to build on a certain like more data, more compute would get you as far as we are now. And it was sort of everyone had these ideas that you have to build a brain or consciousness or like imagination. How do we train like imagination into an AI? And so that I think caught everyone, including some of the greatest minds in AI at a a Facebook and other companies unaware of, well, like just more parameters, more tokens, more computers, and we are where we are now. And then the... The, the secondary nature of that now is people are scared that, well, just more of that means that AGI is coming. And so that doesn't mean that that's the case, of course, but like it is scary to think that because while we didn't think it would get this far, maybe it can still get like even further with just more data and more of what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, that's the, the up at night part, right? I, um, I definitely... <laughs> It's an interesting spot to be in to uh, to be you know uh, at the the head of a uh, an AI company at this time because I I do feel like everybody that I talk to, um, you'd think that we'd be complete optimists, right? But I, I do think that everybody in this industry, for the most part, is pretty level headed and and pretty realistic about both the positives and the negatives. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I haven't actually met everyone, and there's some people who are doing some weird stuff with LLMs, but I think ultimately, like. 
everyone knows that it's their skin in the game to some extent. Right. So right. I mean, I'm, I'm actually lucky in that we're generating mm-hmm. pictures. It's not like I'm trying to teach the AI how to right. open a bank account, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm lucky in that way in that it's, we don't have that sort of uh, problem. Mm-hmm. But the same technology that is used for LDMs is used for LLMs, like the same kind of fine-tuning methods, of course, with a whole bunch of variation. But it's basically matrices all the way down kind of thing, you know. So so um, definitely very conscious of it as well. And yeah, to your point, like you can scroll and then you're like, oh, Google's kind of med palm is now beating all the doctors out there mm-hmm. and this is beating this. So it does sort of bring up the question of like, well, what is – what's going to happen to all right. these jobs, what's going to happen there. Right. No, absolutely. It's, it's a question that I think we're all hoping has a good answer, but we, we shall see. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So kind of, uh, lastly, I'd, I'd love to get your kind of advice for product managers, for entrepreneurs who, you know, are, are seeing everything happening in the AI space and know that it's crucial to build into their products. Um, what advice would you have for them uh, when it comes to actually building it in? Yeah, um, that's a good one. So if you already have an existing product, um, that means, and you have some users who are paying you, that's already a very good start, right? Then you've got a feel of what problem you're trying to solve. And so again, start with the problem. Don't get carried away with like the shiny tech. Uh, we've all been there. I've done that. <laughs> Built companies based on that. Um, and so start with the problem and think about, well, what are the gaps in the, what the customer is trying to achieve? Like what outcome are they trying to get to? Why are they motivated to do it? And what are the gaps? Um, and of course, you're sort of like doing two things at the same time. You have some knowledge of what the AI can do and you have this gap and you're sort of moving these two planes um, and sort of like, you know, 3D space of these two planes. And each time you move one, the other one needs to be moved as well, almost. And so um, I would say that would be, of course, the first place to start. But if you find that there's an application and you say, I want to implement AI, um, then definitely, if you already have an existing product, you have a team, then I would say definitely look for an API out there. Like look for something out there that Someone's already built and even if you pay like $5 a call or something, you know, just get an API that you can plug and play and you can try it out. Because uh, the first thing that you'll find, again, this advice may not be applicable to all companies, but the first thing that you'll find is that it doesn't work in all cases. It doesn't work for all customers. Uh, even our, what's a fine tuning process we have to personalize for every single user because it, it's not the same the parameters. And so um, definitely see, well, these are the problems, but let me try to solve them with that, you know. The, so that, that would be a great place to start. Just see if you can solve the actual problem without caring about how to implement it or how to productionize it or put the ML infrastructure up. I think too many people jump to, we should be doing something with AI. And then they buy a whole bunch of service maybe and then they try clone some code and try implement it like really yeah so that would be the first place to start and then um yeah and then of course i guess the, the kind of rest of the answer follows from there right if you see how much value how much uplift that brings the actual customer you can decide how much you want to invest in that feature being a build versus buy right do we just want to keep on actually buying it do we want to build it 
um, and and you want to create as much value for the customer. However, all of that being said, there's also the argument that customers, depending on where you are, they might be asking for AI. So you know, people might. I I, I see companies like we have a brand new feature. It's got AI in it, but like the feature is not doing anything. So. They want to show, many companies want to show that they're implementing AI because of the kind of hype curve that everyone's on. And and I think you should just be careful with that. Like it's okay to say, it's okay to say we should explore it, but don't over invest in implementing your product that's not solving a problem. And maybe it doesn't have to solve a problem now, but you have to have a good hypothesis about what it actually enables your customer to do. so I can understand the sort of pressure to just do it, um, but that inevitably isn't going to work if no one clicks on it. No, totally. <laughs> so it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier. You have to have an actual use case, right? And you have to have that use case proven out before you, you know, jump to automating it. Yeah, I mean, it is what's complicated because also like. I would also encourage at the same time, right? That's why I say, say product management is actually hard. You should mm-hmm. listen to customers, except right. when you don't. You right. know, you should uh, build new features, except when you don't, right? Like it's yep. all yes uh, mm-hmm. and no at the same time. So if you have the capacity in your team and you have even a, a weak hypothesis, start to play with it. Don't implement it into your what's a product. So you can say, Let's take our customer data and we'll build like an AI kind of what's in, what's a playground, an internal tool. And here you all have it and you can basically play with it. Uh, and then stuff can come out of that. So, so actually, you could also do that and say, look, there could be something here we're going to allocate and let everyone just ex- explore it. Uh, that's really where our idea came from, right? The company that we currently have is because of, just being kind of willing to put something out there that is really bad. Right. <laughs> and then it turned out to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Getting it out there and, and perfecting it along the way. Right. Yeah. That's it. Awesome. Well, Marco, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, it's been very enlightening and it's been great to learn a little bit more about yourself, about Secta and, and your, your view on, on AI. Is there anything that you want to plug um, to the, the future of product listeners before, before we're out? Uh, no, I haven't prepared any kind of plug. Uh, maybe go get your AI headshots with us if you, there you go. if you really want to. And if you have a good experience, please tell everyone else. Uh, maybe we can do a promo for like your listeners if you are keen. Um, yeah, I would absolutely. say, yeah, I just want to say what to thank you for this. It's uh, I think you, what you're doing is quite a key topic in this space. And especially as we sort of unpack, like what does it take to build product in this space? Like mm-hmm. you look at stuff like, generative kind of uh, generative ui that's coming out now so you ask a prompt and it actually returns the entire interface mm. for you to uh, like what kind of headphones should i buy it generates the entire like, interface you want to choose mm-hmm. this choose this this kind of noise cancelling bluetooth so there's building product in this space is going to change it's yeah. going to be quite a big change but we don't yet know so having these kind of talks is really really good uh, i think you're going to blow up you're going to be big uh, one day I'll show up to like your studio and you know <laughs> there yeah hey hey I can't wait for that. yeah there you go <laughs> no I can't wait for that thank you Marco I uh, greatly appreciate that and it's been a ton of fun I mean getting to talk to people like you has been um, see where the space is moving it's been so exciting awesome Max uh, appreciate the opportunity. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Future Product Podcast. A special thanks to my amazing guest, Marco. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about what I do over at Player Zero, you can find us at playerzero.ai. If you're looking to go even deeper on the subjects we talked about in the pod, subscribe to Future Product on Substack. Be sure not to miss this Thursday's newsletter. Can't wait to see you there.